G'day and welcome to the Fly Fisher Podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. Welcome to another episode of the Fly Fishers Podcast. Uh, today we're joined by two guides, being Kyle Jones and Scott Xanthalakis, uh, both well-respected guides from Victoria, and they're certainly our go-to in the shop um, for people that are, are wanting a, a good experience on our local waters or on the private waters of Millbrook Lakes. Uh, today we've actually jumped in the car and we've come up to Millbrook for the day. Um, the weather is doing that typical Ballarat thing where it's, uh, you know, overcast, bit of drizzly rain, then the sun pops out. And it's bloody freezing, isn't it, Peter? Oh, it's cold. <laughs> Standing on that lake before. I it's just par for the course in this yeah. joint, though. But, um, yeah, look, the I guess the lake fishing is one of those things that can be quite intimidating to the river angler. Um, uh, Peter, you've, I guess, only really just starting to cut your teeth on, your, on the lakes. Is that right? Yeah, well, I only caught my first lake fish yesterday. Um, <laughs> that was after I'd seven. say that's pretty fresh then. <laughs> yeah, very fresh. Uh, but yeah, for the last, uh, what is it, three days, uh, you got three days fishing lakes in a row, mate. Now, after one day of it, you're obsessed. Yeah, some people might call it an addiction. But yeah, <laughs> I've certainly got that, that itch there it, now and I want to scratch it really it, bad. That's good, mate. But I know Forbes was getting stuck into you for weeks before you finally decided to take the plunge and give it a bit of a crack. Yeah, well, that's right. Here. Why is that, do you think? Um, well, stream fishing, you rock up and you get there and you're going to catch multiple fish. Lake fishing, your opportunities sort of come far, yeah. far apart, but you get rewarded with big fish, like yeah, much I guess bigger fish. To a certain degree on the rivers, you kind of know what you're getting, but um, it's good to see that you've uh, got a bit of a taste for it now and kind of sink your teeth into it over this cooler period of the year where the rivers are shut anyway. But, you know, I think um, it, it's intimidating, you know, a big expanse of water. Uh, there's a lot to learn as you get into lake fishing, um, but it's not hard. Anyone can do it. You've been doing it for one day and you've already scratched up a nice rainbow out of Morrible Reservoir. So I think uh, that, that just proves it. Yeah, that's right. Lost a big one this morning, too. <laughs> that's all right. We won't yeah. talk about that. There's a lot to learn still, but, you know, to be fair, I did break one off, too. So, you know, yeah. and uh, But, yeah, maybe I think the lake fishing, you don't stop learning. And, and part of lake fishing is just learning to deal with bigger fish as well. You know, a three-pound rainbow in the prime of its life is going to break 3x tippet very easily. But, um, you know, that's sort of the, the premise for today's podcast anyway. We, we want to talk about lakes, what the, the things that you really need to know if you're going to give it a go on our local still waters and, and hopefully uh, get you guys motivated to get out there uh, through the cooler period as the rivers are shut just know that there's still a lot of bloody good fishing out there in Victoria to be had. Um, so, yeah, as I say, we're joined here with, with Kyle and Scotty. Uh, welcome, boys. Thanks for having us. And well done on <laughs> Scott's Andrew. last name there. I know, he still stuffed it up. <laughs> Can I make this clear? No, early. It's ex-Xanthalagus. You've got to say the X. Ex. Ex-Xanthalagus. Yeah, I'm not a xylophone, so don't xylophone me. So it's not Xanthalagus. Yeah, and if that's too much for you, then just call him Scotty Alphabet like everyone else does. <laughs> it's okay. Everyone always says, how do, you, how do you pronounce your last name? And I'm just like, Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty Smith. A good Greek, Smith. good Greek surname, that one. At least your uh, first name's spelt right. 
Please. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and again, it's not Keel. It yeah. is, uh, it's, it's Kyle. Ah. And tell, just a quick one. Why? Why? <laughs> this is interesting. This why is the a really, spelling? Yeah, why the spelling mistake? Uh, everyone thinks that I'm German, but mum... Mum spelt it wrong because of Kylie Minogue, so they didn't. They thought K Y L E looked too much like Kylie, so they just oh, spelled it wrong. An easy mistake to make, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I always just say Mum was drunk. But. <laughs> so cool. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess you know probably for it'd be good just to to hear a bit about the, your. Uh, lake fishing experience, why you like it, you know, like how do, uh, you know, Kyle, maybe uh, what is it about lake fishing that you like? Uh, how does it differ to the river fishing? What makes it kind of something special? It's close by. Like I've uh, born and bred back a smash, so these sort of central highland lakes are close by, but it, I find it a touch more challenging. Um, people won't like me saying that, but you have to work for fish. So if the fish aren't know like you're casting upstream in a river the your chances of finding a fish is a little bit easier i think sometimes yeah but you've got to work for it on a lake and i like that i like the struggle yeah um personally yeah and is it a bit of a quality over quantity type thing as well a little bit i think i spent a lot of time when i was younger chasing big fish in in lakes and i'm not so much like that anymore like i enjoy small fish in small streams and lighter rods and things but yeah when i was younger i did chase bigger fish yeah the, wanky factor sort of thing <laughs> just wanted to be the big fish man yeah, the big hero exactly. yeah puff the chest out yeah it's all about the instagram pic yeah <laughs> the, the photo the more likes that was uh myspace back then but. Was my <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you're showing a bit yeah. of age so yeah. yeah maybe instagram wasn't the thing back then but um uh, scotty you know rivers versus lakes which one wins the day for you mate um 50 50 but i i love chasing big fish as well um and i guess we always talk about a fishing journey. It, most for most of us, just like yourself, beat it. Like it always starts off on a river, mm. and I think it's a great, you know a good start starting point because you know the most river fish are opportunistic feeders. So yeah. it's yeah. not really about matching the hatch, you know, because yeah. certainly plenty of times where Kyle will be on a section of river on the swampy, let's say, and he'll be smashing fish, and he'll be on a you know a pink beaded like small hairs here, yeah. and I'll be on a really you know natural you know a dark beaded, you know, pheasant tail or something like that. Mm. And I'm smashing them as well. So, you know, they're opportunistic feeders in, in, the, in the river. So it's good, you know, you can sort of go, okay, in this foam line up the river here, like if I put the, you know, yeah. if I deliver the fly right, I'll get a neat. Yeah. But lakes, as Kyle said, it's a bit of a struggle as well. And, and I can remember enjoying that struggle as well. You know, mm. plenty of blank days and we still have blank days when we head out. Kyle more than me. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> so, no, so, yeah, so ju just that challenge. And I can remember um, particularly my early days of, of lake fishing as well because I'm, I'm from Bacchus Marsh as well, so it's close by. So those early days on Hepburn Lagoon and, mm. you know, seeing big fish and particularly towards dusk, you know, it was a real draw card to land that big fish that's going to pull hard and, you know, and, you know, it, it's a strong, strong, yeah. strong fish compared to river fish. And, you know, they're in excess of you know, six pound in these lakes. So it's a huge draw card. And and these last few years have been sensational. Yeah. Some of the best fish we're going to see uh, being caught are going to be in the next two years. And we've seen, uh, you know, some of our clients head out to places like Maribyrn Land fish over in excess of 10 pounds. So yeah, monsters. So yeah, that's why what draws me to the lakes and that struggle. And it's a vast expanse of water, like you said, Andrew, and, and you can look at it and go, where the where do I start? You know, mm. what's go like, it just looks 
a bit daunting compared to a small stream. Foam line, chuck it in the foam, catch the fish where you can look at a lake and go, where, where to start? And I remember that struggle, it, you know, it took a while. Building to, that confidence, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah. And once you get confidence in the in the lakes, it's just like your river, you know, you rock up to that river and you know where the fish are. Mm. It, it starts to, you know, you become more confident as um, you start to in fish the lakes more often. So, yeah, so, get you know. We, we get excited. When we see a lake, we get excited just like most river anglers get excited about seeing a foam line. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's worth pointing out that there are so many fish in these lakes, aren't there? Like, what is it, a million trout that have been released into Victorian waters over the last bloody 12 months or something? Like, it's it's a lot. It, yes. I don't, <laughs> I don't see that many fish. But. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it's, and, and, you know, and um, a high five to fisheries if they're here. You know yeah. what I mean? Because they they've done a fantastic job. Fisheries have never been better, and I and I, you know, we we can can them. You know, it's easy mm. to can them, but we've got we've got to thank them over the last three to four years. It's the fishing has been sensational. Their stocking rates have been have mm. been really good. You know, Tullaroop, you know, something like thirty thousand fish going in there a year. Yeah, and um, Mirable, you know, around that ten thousand marks. So there's a lot of fish going in and prime condition so yeah so it's yeah and they seem to be onto it when water levels are good they're very quick to respond and get more fish out there aren't they yeah absolutely and place like Maribel, you i've been told i haven't been out to Maribel this season because uh we've been quite busy but i've been told it's full you know there's lots of water and and the fish are going in there so Mm. and you know there's fish there yeah yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely so yeah no better time to start uh fly fishing lakes than right now yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And so you think the best of the lake fishing is sort of to come through winter and, and you know, the cooler months? Is that when you, you prefer to check them out? Like if you if you had a season on the lakes, when are we talking? Uh, I'd say the cooler cooler months, so January, February, especially at Millbrook here, we shut down. It's harder to catch fish. The water temp's up high. The bugs don't really do a lot. So I'd say sort of autumn, winter and then spring. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it is almost year round. It's just that yeah. we've got that distraction by rivers, isn't it? Yes, and yeah. you will still catch fish in lakes in the warm months. It's just a little bit harder. So that's why we tend to focus yeah. on rivers. And the fish just get a bit lazy, do they? Or? Yeah, it's just it's a water temp thing. So they just go and find the cold water out in the middle sort yeah. of thing, maybe hide under the weed. And then like you've lost the mayfly hatches around spring, so that sort of goes. You might get some spinner action, but they're hard to catch. So Yeah, cool. Um, let's just talk a bit about the gear. Like if you were going to set yourself up for, uh, you know, fishing the lakes, uh, I guess, through winter, spring, autumn, it doesn't really matter the time of year. Would it be the same outfit for all, all seasons? Yeah, I would, I would, I would say mostly, yeah, Kyle and myself would probably use just the, the one setup yep. and then we would rotate through fly lines a little bit, um, on that one rod, but we're certainly leaning towards 10 foot, six weight rods now these days. Yeah, um, heavily influenced by Mr. Mark Weigel, so you know, and it just makes everything easier. Like, and I, look, I'm a, I love light gear. You know, heading on the river, it goes as light as you can go mm. for the fish you're catching. But on the lakes here, you know, the challenge is wind, um, and you, you know, if there's a fish out at 70, 80 feet, you know, you got to hit it, or else you're not, you know, the fish doesn't see you fly, you don't catch the fish. So you don't want to make it harder for yourself. Lake fishing is already difficult. Don't make it harder. So. Yeah, certainly a 10-foot, 6-weight and uh, fly lines. We like to use aggressive tapers. Yeah. You know, get that, you know, you can still deliver a, a, a dry fly out with an aggressive tapered fly line. Um, but you don't want to muck about too much. You don't want to spend all your time false casting. So it. it's the speed, isn't it? You know, that aggressive tapered line is just going to help you get the fly to the fish quickly. Yes, especially yeah. dry fly fishing where you can see that, that fish clipping away. Yeah. You know, it's going 
from right to left and it's clipping every two metres, you want to get it out, you know, and put deliver that fly right in front of the fish. So, yeah, yeah you got to be there. Be there. Being there is probably more important than putting it down delicately. Absolutely, yeah. Just get the fly to the fish. Yeah. And just to jump in there, uh, a reel with a drag. <laughs> I it know. Is, it is very important. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen people. Know. My Hardy St George does a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those bigger fish, you just can't palm. You'll just lose fish. And I've seen people come to Millbrook without backing. And it, it's pointless. Yeah. Because so, yeah. we see the backing. I, I hear people tell me that you won't see backing on a trout in Victoria, but I see it once or twice a week. Yeah, like these trout and what the west of Victoria has to offer, it's as good as anywhere in the world in terms of size. Like they're bloody big fish in the prime of their lives. They've just been in such a good paddock. You're right, Andrew. I mean, I I love this, this, the Central Highlands around Ballarat. It's a sensational place, but it is, it is a world-class fishery out here. Mm. Um, I know plenty of guys go to Tasmania. We all love Tassie in the summer months, but you know, a fish in excess of six pounds is quite rare in Tassie even, but out in Mirable, you see them being caught regularly and and um, and great fish numbers. So I think up here is it's world class, and I'd like to see that in the you know, with fisheries doing even a better job. Yeah. Um, with management, we've got a world class fishery, and it's an hour and a half from Melbourne. Mm. So fantastic. I hope he doesn't mind me quoting him, and I must admit I heard this one secondhand. But Christopher Bassano, ex fishing guide from Tasmania, when asked, you know, if you wanted to catch a, a trophy trout in Australia, where would you head? He was very quick to say Victoria. You're right. Not doing it in the Western Lakes of Tasmania. He's coming here to do it. Yeah. So, you, you know, that, and that's, you know, I guess, straight from someone that, that, that knows Tassie, like, better than anyone. But, um, yeah, it's a, it is an incredible fisher. We are so bloody lucky to have it, you know, this close to Melbourne. Uh, if you're listening from Sydney, probably still worth a visit, hey? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We, we, we uh, have the Sydney fly rudders come down. Um, uh, South, to visit South Australia last South weekend. Australia last, yeah, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean... And it just shows you these private lakes of Millbrook, which are just located where the public lakes are, it shows you with management, mm. um, with better management, we could have a world-class world, world class fishery um, because, yeah, these are right next door. They're, like, they're on the same, feeding on the same bugs, same food, and they, they get huge, especially here. Yeah. Spud country, so the ground's fertile, weed grows, bugs grow, fish grow. It's, yeah. It's pretty much that simple. It is, isn't it? Yeah, like you can see the colour of the dirt here is like chocolate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it reflects, yeah, like Kyle said, it reflects in the aquatic life, you know, great soil yeah. and that soil continues into the lake and great weed growth, you know. I, I mean, and that's what we'll talk about mm. this later in terms of availability of food in the lake compared to a river where they're quite opportunistic, whatever's coming down, they've got to put in their mouth. But here, and Philip Weigel describes it as soup, you know. Yeah. Pretty much, is that much food in these lakes? There's many reasons not to eat your crappy fly, you know, <laughs> that's attached to two X tippet. It's just yeah. not looking like the real thing, and it, there's so much food in the lake. So, and that's a challenge in itself. Yeah. How often do you reckon a fish sees your fly and, unbeknownst to you, just turns away, doesn't want it? Blind fishing, or, yeah, okay. yeah, a lot. Yeah. Like it'd be a lot, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're up a high watching, say, guiding wise, I'm watching someone fish. Sometimes I won't even call it. I'll just see a fish come up, swim, look turn away and I'll just be like, oh, I just won't. I'll see it all the time. Yeah. So imagine how many times you don't see it. Yeah. And it's yeah. probably best off not to tell the client because no. it just pulls it straight yeah. out of there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and we're always looking, we're always trying to be on the cutting edge of, you know, especially Kyle with his fly tying and, yeah. and myself, we're always trying to tie the right fly to get that extra. But we, yeah, we see it, especially sight fishing, you can see it all, zoom up to the fly and just go, well, yeah, it's just not for me. Can I say that's dog shit? That's yeah. just dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, autumn dun season, I saw fish refuse real duns. 
Yeah, that, that starts go. to make you <laughs> yeah. life hard. <laughs> yeah. Swim past 30 duns here, 30 Amazing. naturals. Yeah. yeah, only likes them with the shuck attached. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it hard. Yeah. Um, so let, let's just say, uh, using it as an example, Moorable Reservoir, you know, you guys both know that water intimately. Um, where would one start? How do you read a lake? Uh, depends on the time of year, uh, but I would go look at the forecast wind-wise. Um, a place like Moorable is really good because of bays and, and points and things like that. So if you're learning um, or you haven't fished lakes much or your cast isn't very long, I would get the wind behind me. Um, but again, depends on the time of year, um, like if midge fishing and dun fishing, even um, snail feeders or, or smelters, it's a, I would look in different areas. Yeah. Um, and to start that off, I suppose, like uh, like in a hatch and they uh, midge or duns, but mostly duns, I would personally fish the windward shore. That's where the bugs are ending up. Um, you can even fish like a double hatch. So, so mayflies can hatch in the slack water, take flight and then land again. So you can always follow, follow the mayflies around. But we're talking like, you know, autumn and spring. Winter months, I would fish. I prefer dawn and dusk for midge feeders personally. You get them all during the day, but you less wind. So you can fish in the slack water and look for rises. Um, but where to look for on a lake so I don't ramble too much. Uh, if you walk down and you see birds working in a, in a bay, walk over there. The, the birds are feeding on bugs and the fish will be doing the same thing. Um, I hope that's half answered. Are you covering question. a lot of water? Like, Do you think part of the key is just doing a lot of walking? Yeah, l- lately I have been. Um, I don't think I did this years ago. I would sort of find a good spot that I like or maybe I saw a fish there last time or maybe I caught a fish there last time. But I tend to fish now personally an area for 10 or 15 minutes. If I don't see something rise or I don't get a tap or something like that, I move on. Um, I go and find the fish because I think you can get uh, hatches and things like that in certain parts of a lake and maybe you're just not there. To, to find the hatch or the fish. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think, like, like what Kyle said, moving a lot. I t- mm. tend to move a hell of a lot and then and look for, like Kyle said, look for signs of fish or signs of bug activity because just in that next bay around the corner, it could be going off. Yeah. You know, and you don't want to be, well, there's no fish, it's simple as that. Again, you need to be where the fish are. So we tend to look, and I know Philip Wild was big on that, just move, you know, slowly creep around and you'll see that fish, but Tend, you know, if you're if you're fishing, you tend to not watch the area as well, you know, around you. So when you're fishing, you keyed in on your indicator, which you should be, or mm. or you know that stripping fly, and you'll miss things. So just taking a stroll around a few bays and getting your, you know, and go, okay, I've seen two move off that point. I've seen nothing in the shallows, so I'm going to concentrate off the points on the deep deeper side of the points in those areas. So yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. And it could come down to like weed beds and things like that. So so maybe the, the lake's risen and yep. and there's no weed beds in the shallows there. So you go around onto a deep point or something, there's weed beds there, that's where the food is. Yeah. We, we had a great um, – we shouldn't tell everyone about this. No, we will. But we had – Give all the secrets. All oh, wow. the secrets. It's the Fly Fishers podcast. Does anyone listen, does anyone we give listen all to the this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> all right. For no. all 16 listeners. All right. Okay, we're going to go 16. We're going to double it at 32 after this. But um, <laughs> so, but we, we had – we found winter time – this win, uh, winter just gone, the smelters, uh, we had goods like, and they were tough as well, which made it really good. But it was just on dawn, wasn't it? Yeah. Pretty much an hour and a half after dawn, it was over. And you'd think there's no fish in the joint, but it was going off for that first hour and a half. And not everywhere. So, you know, we would move around a lot. 
and we find you'd find six fish in one bay, just mm. absolutely, you know, crashing uh, bait fish, very exciting visual fishing. So, yeah, so, so as soon as that sun come up, they would. It was away, just dead. And, and dead. would that fishing go a bit longer on those more overcast mornings, like those real sort of dull, yeah. sultry? Yep, I think so. That sort of sideways drizzle. Yeah, yeah. Days, we like yeah. we liked it glassy because it was exciting because you can see the fish. It's quite a little bit more visual, but yeah, certainly on those cloud days they'll hang out a bit more. Yeah, and and you you follow the fish out as well because if they disappear from those shallow areas, then it's simply just they've just gone out a little bit, so start wading and stripping around those those areas. Yeah. as we say, they're stuck in the water; they can't go anywhere. Yeah. The fish are always there, so just follow them as they progress through that, and that hatch or, you know. Or that was tough fishing, I found, because right. you had to have the fly size right. Colour, I don't know if it mattered as much, I'll tell you, in 10 years, but I was fishing larger smelt patterns, and there was that much smelt in Maroubal last year, you'd accidentally hook them. They'd be on your hook, and you could tell it was pretty obvious I should have gone to a smaller fly because they were stuck to my hook. <laughs> very <laughs> glassy little yeah, things. Yeah, like, yeah, little white bait, sort of glassy minnows, but... Uh, the, you would see them bust up and you could put a cast into them before the trout hit them. They were like herding, herding the bait fish up. So that's why it was so exciting. But I, I didn't catch some fish there for days because I was fishing the wrong size fly. And that, it's a good learning experience. You've, you've got to have different flies and different profiles. Yeah, like it seems like a, it, that could go both ways though, right? Like yeah. sometimes you want your fly to look that bit different to the naturals. Yeah. And then other times if you're not, you know, looking exactly the same, then you're just not in the game. Exactly. But that's what... Fly fishing to me is all about trying to <laughs> trick the fish or figure it out. And, yeah. And yeah, that, that hatch, we, for mayfly hatches, we see that a lot with, you know, they're all, most of our mayflies here, you know, a greyish, dull colour, the Dunn's patterns. And, but we we tend to use claret colours to stand out amongst the crowd. So that's, yeah. Right. So that's, you reckon that's part of the reason claret is such a popular colour amongst. Ab- Absolutely, and it's debatable whether fish can see colours anyhow. A lot of people say they see in black and white. I don't know, I'm not a fish. I can't see what they see, but but you certainly, even if you see black... You might see if you were wearing Smith Low Light Igniters. (laughs) 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 Look at the Smith Manny. (laughs) They don't make Smith Low Light Igniters anymore, so we've got nothing to gain by that, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so this, you know, so, like, you know, like you said... Andrew, have a bunch of different. The, the key thing is not to open your fly box and have two smell patterns. Like, yeah. And they're not eating those two. You know, have, have a good range of flies so you can mix it up, you know, and, and one will work one day and one won't the other, but at least have options to go to smaller, larger, different mm. colors, you know, different profiles, things like that. But have yeah. options. Definitely. Absolutely. And if so, you don't, fish your other flies like it uh if that makes any sense so a damsel nymph to me i think is a damsel nymph but if you strip it that could be a, a, a slim smelt so if you that is a bloody good tip yeah. and one that i can relate to because i remember a, a time in tassie at first lagoon and they were smelting and i was casting a, a philbricks nymph to them which is just a real slim kind of scuddy stick caddisy looking nymph and uh, couldn't really get a response out of the trout until I started stripping the bloody thing, and they monstered it every time. But yes. it was, yeah, a fast-stripped nymph is a bloody yeah. good smell pattern. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you see the profile of a nymph, it's that bulky head to, you know, slim body, and that's yeah. stripped. Or, and, and we talk about the dibble and, and ways to fish certain, you know, methods. But I remember with uh, uh, spinner feeders, you know, could, you know, they're leaping, and we call it fisherman's curse. You see a lot of fish leaping midair, taking them on the wing, and it's a hard one because you can see the clients, they go, they just get excited. There's 30 fish rising here. And Kyle and I are thinking, 
shit, it's going to be a tough day. <laughs> and, and, and they're excited. Like, Whoa, and it's a sunny day. Usually they're on sunny days. and Yeah. Oh, well, wow. And then, yeah, but I remember that same thing as what you hear, like stripping a nymph because they're after the movement, mm. you know. So stripping a skinny nymph, bang, fish on. But, you know, sitting out uh, little spinner patterns, dog shit, nothing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so the king, you know, it may be just movement of the fly. It, yeah, it may not be the pattern that will work. Yeah. So. so just being a little bit adaptable, I guess, is a good tip there. And, yeah, and observation, you know, like just doing a bit of walking and looking rather than just flogging water. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yep. But it's it can go. Move. Sorry, Scott, it can go both ways too. So um, trying to match the hatch and all that stuff. But my go-to midge pattern is a black woolly bugger. Yeah, so. don't say that. <laughs> I think Andrew's got here, and he's—I can see it on his phone here, like yeah, bitch fishing. So yeah, I'm going to complicate Everyone. the shit out of it. <laughs> Which, and we'll talk about twenty-eight. We will talk about we will talk about when the woolly bugger works really well in a bitch hatch. There's probably it probably works less around. I won't. We'll talk about it later, but yeah, there's certainly times when and when not to. And use you it. are the self-proclaimed midge fishing expert, so yeah, I like I'd like to say that I am, but. Um, uh, yeah, 15 years ago, like I, that's why I was so interested in midge fishing because I was, I would see these midge, uh, you know, feeding fish, particularly on Burrable and places like Wombat Res, mm. and I just couldn't catch them. So I remember made a phone call uh, to Millbrook Lakes, and the midge master then was Philip Woe. So he's he's more the master than me, but um, grandfather of the, the grandfather. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, I said, I, you know, I, I came out to Millbrook, Millbrook Lakes when I was about 23, 24. Just to learn, and we said to Phil, let, let us know when the midge because we want to. So we spent a full day learning how to midge fish then, and then I guess I've just progressed from there. Yeah, cool. So it's, it's, it's exciting fishing. So yeah, catching big fish on small bugs, mm. I love it. Yeah, getting back a little bit to reading the water. How do you feel about timber? Does timber matter in you know, like if you see a nice big submerged log, is that a bit of a hot spot? Yeah, uh, trout. Well, our trout lakes. Yes, but they're not like Murray Cod. They won't hide under it, but there will be food there. So that it is another hot spot. So uh, mud eyes will crawl out on them. It depends when you're fishing, you know, like summer. Um, mud eyes will crawl out onto a log and then turn into a dragonfly and fish know that so they hang around the logs. Yeah. Or will hang around the feeding mud eyes. Is that, does the same go for damselflies, do you know? Yeah. I, no, well, I'd say damselflies are more reeds. Yeah, reeds. Okay. So as yeah. watching the water, as far as I know, I'm not a botanist or something, but uh, the damselflies will climb down reeds head first to lay eggs, yeah. and they can climb out of reeds to hatch. Yeah, cool. Um, from nymph to fly, but um, so I see a lot more damsel feeders in reeds than logs. Yeah, personally. Yeah. Um, so looking at a bit of a season and covering off, you know, the various parts, you know, the damselflies, they're probably more like a summery sort of thing, are they? like a warmer month type yeah. thing. Yeah, spring and summer, Scott, would you yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, so mid, mid-spring to, to early summer, yeah. And then we've, we've seen them again coming off in autumn as, you know, post-summer. So we, we certainly saw some right through till mid-April. So yeah. because it's been a really good few years weather-wise and the lakes are full and healthy we're, we're seeing hatches last longer than we have i've seen duns the last couple of days guiding not many not a hatch but there's still duns there and they should have stopped a month ago yeah so yeah. i think just the water's that healthy the nymphs are fat all the nymphs are fat they just they're itching to hatch and the, the fish are itching to eat them yeah <laughs> nice that's uh, a good problem to have good old la nina it's been been pretty kind to us yep. this uh this last year or two <laughs> But um, so uh, that sort of – what else sort of happens through those um, – where should we start? Winter, do you think? 
Yeah. We're heading into Start now. Yeah. yeah. Start yeah. now. We'll yeah. talk about a bit of a season. So um, what streamer fishing is a bit of a go-to method. Um, midge fishing. Yeah. The, I guess the key uh, key thing is is a mixture of, of those midge fishing and, and streamer fishing and not, not heading to a lake with any plan. Yeah. You know, just do what, you know, if the fish are midging, you know, you cast your midge patterns out and stripping. We, I guess kind of we'll probably tend to strip a bit more if we're not seeing a whole lot of action. But now, even now, I tend I lean towards indicator fishing, slower fishing. Yeah. Um, so as the fish's metabolism decreases, you you know you probably want to fish slower, cool. unless they're smelting and crashing up. It's visual. Yeah. But yeah, you, as water temp drops, they the fish start to slow down. You start to slow down your fishing, yep. generally speaking. So oh, that's a great tip. So yeah. yeah so <laughs> don't always expect them to be on the street. I mean, you, I used to always head to lakes and just I'd tie my woolly bugger or magoo style fly and just put my head down, my bum up and just like not even looking, just strip, 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 you know. But I tend to walk around a lake and look for those areas of, of uh, midge, yeah. which is those calm, calm, areas, calm areas where it meets the ripple, so those round points and things like that, and throw out your indicator there, um, you know, with your midge patterns below that. Yeah, and, fish. and get a bit of a drift. Yeah, use your wind drift, yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So... Farmer, it's coming. If you're a, a, a right right hand caster, look for the bank where it's going. You know, left to right because it's easier, and just chuck out that indicator, uh, New Zealand strike indicator, wool yarn indicator, mm-hmm. and let them just drift around with the wind. It's just like going to a river. You wouldn't go to a river and just start stripping a river, mm. moving fast. You dead drift. You know, and a lot of our bugs in lakes don't move a lot. Yeah. So you fish very similar to that river technique. Use the wind as a current. Throw it out there and let the fish find the flies with occasionally we like to draw our flies because it gives it that movement where you know the, the midge are midge are always ascending through the water column coming from the bottom up yeah so we're casting out letting it dead drift but then we give it a long draw yeah to, to bring as, them up to bring up and ascend that and that's yep. what fish if there's a fish that's five or six meters from your fly it's looking for that movement yep. going through the water column so it comes over, investigates, eat your flies, calls down the indicator here. So that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. so through winter, if you're likely to see anything, they're probably going to be midging fish. Most, yeah. I like because the, the food in the in a lake, you know, compared to spring and or even summer, it's just decreasing to not much, you know, so which is, makes it easy for us to yeah. to use flies and, and select your hatch. But yeah. I really wish Scott brought this up, but I'll have to give a shout out to the blob and the glow bug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that that's controversial yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the glow bug is affectionately known well, here as the millbrook beetle yes five is <laughs> beetle yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well that's really interesting because it is yeah uh, there's some flies and stuff we don't talk about but i reckon it's it's absolutely fine to use these patterns and whether we catch loads of fish you know non-spawning fish on them like if they're we're targeting rainbows at a lake which, which which has a high rainbow population. We still get plenty of browns mm. on those patterns, so they they just work. They work really well. And uh, you you talk about those flies right. through the winter months because they are a key element in terms of uh, what we what we use on the lake. So it's it's still sight fishing at the end of the day. That's un- unbelievable. I love yeah. I love winter fishing for the sight fishing. You know, bright sunny days and yeah. I can talk about that. And, and they tend to come in on the edges a bit more often, do you think, in, in winter? Yeah. I because I, of the spawning thing? Is that I, why? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they swim around a lake looking for a river for a couple of months and even though they can't find a river to go up, they, they keep looking. So They'll keep looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, those little, so yeah, those little creek areas coming in in wintertime, key, yeah, yeah, you're looking at glow bugs or blobs and things like that, attractor patterns, um, yeah, because they're looking for that creek. they 
they're desperate to spawn and they're coming, you know, within metres of the bank, sometimes with their backs out of the water, yeah. in pods. So you can find sometimes 10, 15 fish and look for those, again, look for those shores that are windswept and rocky. So for that type of fishing, very windy, you know, look for your prevailing winds as well. So know where your prevailing winds. Ours here is a nor'wester to a southwester. Uh, particularly on those nor'westers, go to a rocky bank and gravelly sort of bank and fish those type of flies in those areas. They're absolutely deadly. And just cool. yeah, for anyone who hasn't done that, I did want to. It's still indicator fishing too. Yep. It's so it's visual. You you know have a glow bug under your indicator. Blobs are a bit different. I strip them, but. Yeah, we move the blobs, the stripping. Right, so that's just not a glorified egg pattern. That's that's just some weird predatory orange thing that they like that moves. Yeah, and it, it came from that the English lock style fishing. So that's where the blob comes from. We didn't create or anything. So, and it was to target, uh, you know, feisty rainbows in those type of fisheries in in England. Uh, Getting that I believe aggression. it's banned. I think it's really? banned in competition. England. It's that effective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know for one that most English comps it's banned. I'm pretty sure it's not banned in the national you know international fly fishing scene but it's that effective when they're in that mode it can yep. be absolutely deadly and it's fished usually on an intermediate uh sinking fly line uh, and and just cast out you know figure of eight let it drop or the hang we call it so it's just dropping through then you you'll fish this different to me and we all that's a great thing about fishing we all fish differently but you know for me it's long long even draws and the and then let it sink again, go back to a figure of eight, let it fall through the water and bang, they'll usually take it on that drop. Mm. And particularly on that dibble. So that a dibble is when you raise the flies, you just say you're knee deep in a lake and you're mm. raising the flies through the water column with the tip of the rod. So bringing it from deep to right to the surface. And yeah. Very visual take. Is that at the end of the retrieve? End of the retrieve, yeah. Right. Just pulling it up through the water. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yep. It's in, I, we love it. So Yeah, and uh, you can sight fish with it too, like in terms of Polaroider fish. And put a glow bug to it and catch them that way. It's just like nymphing, isn't it? Yeah. But you're doing it with a great big orange flashlight. Beetle. <laughs> orange beetle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's fun. I like it. But uh, some people don't, so yeah. you don't do it if you don't like it. Um, in the, you know, I've done a lot of fishing with Jim Allen and at this time of year and up in these lakes, he was always big on when you catch them you, and if they're egged up, then strip them. Yes. And, you know, he, he sort of schooled me on that and how fish can actually get egg bound if they're unable to get rid of those those eggs. And I guess a place like Millbrook would probably lose a few fish, does it? Through, yeah, all of all of our lakes, Millbrook and the public waters would lose a lot of fish due to uh, fish becoming egg bound. So yeah, they require you know a they require a river to get rid of eggs. They can't get rid of them. Sometimes they can get rid of them, and you will see fish when you see a fish in wintertime launching four or five in the morning. You're like whoa, it just smelled it. It's not. It's just trying to whack its eggs out. Yeah. And those, when it slaps on that, on the water, it, fish only have to lose about 30% of their eggs and they can reabsorb that 70%. So they're just trying to get rid of some. So they gravity, that's right. what they run their guts along the gravel. Yeah. They're trying to just get rid of them, you know. Yeah. So like they need that river to spawn. Lakes, they're landlocked, you know. Just like Kyle back in the day when he was 18 going to a nightclub, you know, <laughs> he needed bright lights and, you know, some loud music to get in the mood. The yeah. fish need a river. <laughs> it's all right, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. Very good. Um, yeah, right. So, yeah. and uh, so, But it is probably like if you have trouble getting over that hurdle of, you know, the fact you're fishing an egg, uh, if you want to put your, your, your conservation hat on, it's probably a good idea to catch them, strip them, and it does give them a new lease of life because when you let them go, they seem to just have 
you know, a bit more vigor, don't they? Like they almost 100%. like you've done them a huge favor when you let them go. Yeah, some of them look. Uh, you get them and they look like they're in pain. So it is. You can see them swim off better when you let them go after stripping. So yeah, cool. No, it's very good for them. And I was going to say, if you are on that whole, I don't want to use a glow bug thing, which mm. is fine. But remember, we're fishing guides, so we we're all about catching fish. So. Um, but you can certainly use bright bead-headed nymphs and they work really well. So look for a fluorescent orange nymph under your indicator. Yeah. So something like if you – yeah. And Magoo. Yeah, and Magoo and things like that. So, orange bead yeah. Magoo. Yep. Great fly. Um, so uh, streamer fishing though, what sort of uh, tips can you maybe give us? Like what, do you, what would your top three streamer patterns be through winter? Three different colours of the BMS. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> That's just me personally. No, Magoo – I could talk about this for hours. You definitely need an orange-headed magoo, as we just mentioned. BMS, I think, is a good smelt imitation just because it's sort of translucent and the right profile. You can fish that BMS in shallow water as well yeah. compared to the, the bead-headed flies, which is a great option. Um, I used to fish grey ghost. I don't know. That's an old old fly. Like a matuka to, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to fish that a lot, and they were big, like size 8. Um, I used to fish them a lot at Mirable. Um for some maybe I can't tie them. For some reason, I don't use them anymore. I'm trying to think of another really good smelt pattern that I'll use. Uh, every day, help me out, Scott. Yeah. Tom Jones. <laughs> yeah, Tom Jones is a good, definitely. Shout out to Mark Boshan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> loves a Tom Jones. You sure does. Um, I think a Tom Jones. I'm going to get off track here again. Tom Jones is a good fly because it can be fished as a damsel nymph. Even a snail sitting on the bottom, you can use Tom Jones. It's versatile, isn't it? Yeah, very, yeah. Very you wanted a, a one fly fly box, that'd be uh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, but I think those Magoo style flies. So you know, if they're black in colour, we like the Magoo style flies because they have a longer tail compared to your normal woolly bugger. But woolly buggers work fantastic as well. But we're looking for a lot of movement and it has a lot more movement. So look for you know black colour Magoos, green. Have a range of colours and then different bead colours. That's what what. And we love those straggle magoos as well. So yeah, those type of straggly stuff. So does time of day and overcast or blue sky play into the fly selection at all? Uh, I I used to fish dark flies on dark days a lot, but these days I'm I'm changing it up a lot. If I'm not getting an eat in, uh, oh, let's call it fifteen twenty minutes, or I don't see a boil, or don't get a denial or something, I'll change up. I mean, I'll change flies if I get a denial as well. Um, but more so colours than. I fish a lot of magoos, like Scott was just saying, the Viva and things like that, um, and the struggle magoos. So I'll change colours and weights probably, but not – I don't go through a lot of – there's probably four different flies and colours I go through, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, we, we, we're look more looking at um, the method of fishing rather than your fly selection. We play That would play a bigger part on, you know, whether you're fishing up high in the water column, you know, letting it sink down, moving to an intermediate. So where – We'd probably make less fly changes than, you know, fish the shallow end. You know, try that same fly in shallow water. Try it in deep water. Fish it deeper. So the yeah, different retrieves. Yeah, like I, I like a fast retrieve than most people. Mark Wagle does as well. I know Philip catches just as many fish on a figure eight, but I personally like a fast one. But if you're not getting an eat, before I change flies, I'll change the retrieve. Yeah, um, to a slower one or jerky pauses, uh, as Scott was mentioning before with the indicator fishing, the dibble and the hang. So I, I think you definitely need to do the dibble and the hang every time you fish a wet. So the dibble, as Scott was saying, rising the rod tip yep. and the hang just sit it there and even count to five or ten and they'll come out of nowhere and, and smash it. Yeah. And you reckon that's just they've been following it from a metre or two behind and then... I don't know. I, I haven't I, figured that I out. I think, they, I think yeah, when you get an opportunity to see 
the fish follow you know, if we're watching client from a high bank you can see the air follow and we'll be like strip mm. it faster strip it faster and then hang stop mm. you know and, and just keep on mixing it up almost confuse the fish into an eat you yeah. know so mm. and that's what the dibble i think that dibble is they are following they're just thinking the whole you know the whole retrieve this is just this is not a, the real thing and i'm mm. just excited by it and then as it draws to the surface they just go it's going to go I have to eat now. Yeah, I'm going to miss the opportunity to eat it. And and using sec two flies, like I love uh, like a magoo style fly, and I love trailing that BMS 1.2 meters behind. Uh, you know your your bright fly because I see that the whole thing attract and then get the eat on that more natural fly trailing. So, and I know some comp anglers use the other way. They put the bright fly on the point fly, and then the you know the uh, BMS or more natural fly on the top, but. I'm getting a lot of follows on a Magoo, a single fly, straight away. I call the two followers. I get two follows. I'm just dropping a, a fly off the back, 1.2 metres to get that eat. Yeah. Yep. And and lots of tangles. <laughs> yeah. So what, two flies, one fly, what's what's best? Uh, just a single fly to start off with. Less, there's less issues, you know, especially yeah. in weedy areas because if you get do get a fish on that point fly and that top fly is – you know, got a hook oh, of course. going around and, and it gets, yeah. we've seen that a lot. So early or around autumn when the lake's low full of wheat, we're using single flies a lot just because of the weed issue. Um, but generally wintertime, I'm using two flies straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. No, that's worth pointing out, isn't it? You know, like they're big fish. So with that second fly floating around, you're up against it if you do get a good fish. Yeah, we, we see that a bit. <laughs> yeah, we see it a lot. And uh, it comes down to a lot of things too. Like we use barbless hooks here. We could talk about that as well, but you see a lot of fish lost on the point fly because the dropper tied off the shank of the hook yeah. slips off. Well, not a lot. I've seen it a few times, but that's if you keep pressure on the fish, you should be all right. Yeah. Um, so you tie off the shank rather than off a dropper? I do, yeah. One less knot, personally. Yeah. Like we said, big fish, I don't like that extra knot on a dropper. Yeah. And um, it's probably just a bit easier too, is it? Yeah, it's easy. Like casting-wise? Yeah, yeah, less tangles. I see a lot of tangles with uh, with the dropper, but, but it, I think it's more so than not. I see a lot of break-offs, but that's personal preference. A lot I, of think, people, I think, yeah, because a lot of comp anglers will have, yeah. use always use barbless, and we do here. So, yeah, tying off a dropper you know, prevents it from um, from coming off, you know, what, even during the cast so it can come off. But I tend to tie straight off the shank. I don't, And I don't have a problem with the – a lot of people like, oh, it's going to see the line coming off the back and – of that fly, never, or it's going to, you know, affect the eight on the top fly. The top fly, I've never seen, I've never had a problem with it. Yeah. Just like river fishing with, a, you know, an infunded dry, you never think really about that. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't seem to matter then. It doesn't seem to matter at yeah. all. Same with, same with lake fishing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, the cooler months, the fish are maybe a little shut down, slower moving, slower retrieves, that kind of thing. When does it start to sort of fire up and that aggression in the fish sort of comes back when they start feeding up again? Would you say like August are we talking or late July? What, what I would say of? later, so more September. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Yep. So because it, it seems to be uh, the cool weather seems to last that little bit longer. I find September still cold, but yep. yeah, we're looking mid to late September is when things change and we start to move in that spring time of year, which is, yeah, Kyle can talk about spring fishing now because – awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no but let's let's talk a little bit about that that period because i think yeah. you know for big fish it can be a pretty special time right like is it is it the smelt do you think that makes them that a uh, bit more aggressive then or is it just that they've got through spawning and it's a change of attitude of the fish change of attitude definitely and that food wise too like uh it's warming up a bit so you're getting more more bugs coming out so that they're tuning on those frogs things like that yeah um yeah but 
that was a good point. Yeah, sort of coming out of spawning and then they, they're putting on weight again, so they're they're looking for food. Yep. Yeah. Particularly the browns, they're well out of spawning by mid September that period. So you're gonna find you start getting more browns that period as well. So if you like hunting big browns and lakes, it's a, a great time of year. That, that yep. early like mid to late spring, yeah. Absolutely. So the rainbows spawn later than the browns? Yeah, they so the what the browns have got pretty much going through it right now. So what are we, May? And it's already happening. It's been happening for probably the last four weeks already. Wow. Uh, with the browns, they're really in that mode. And rainbows, we always say like June, June, July. So I always say to people, if you want big fish in the lakes, it's June to July because they're coming, the big fish that are out in the middle, mm. they're coming to the edge. They just get that urge. Um, so that's when, if you want to hunt big, bigger rainbows, that June, July. But but we've seen them move into the mode, even the rainbows starting to move now. Yeah, that mode. So it's, it's a little bit of over the place this year, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, and it's cool because it gives you opportunities that you wouldn't have had. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. That um, yeah, great time of year for big fish. Yeah. So September into October, when do the mayfly tend to show up? Yeah, I'd, I'd say around then, sort of mid mid October. Yeah. Is, is when you get your first yeah mayfly hatches. Yeah, and I, I like that time of year because there's less mayfly. Um, yeah. so, so you're getting hatches, but it's easier for your fish to find your fly, easier for all the fish to find your fly, rather than in the midst, say, oh, November-ish or yeah, before. mid to late November, yeah. It's yeah, it's hard because there's so many mayfly, and why were they going to pick your one tight out of deer here when there's a big juicy real one there? Yeah. So I like fishing before and after hatches during that time, but I like early in the done season and late in the done season to fish for fish because yeah, cool. you can catch them easier. Yeah. And they, do you think the fish get keyed into the mayfly almost immediately, like the moment they show up? I've, I've fished before, uh, before the duns have even started. I just try it, just single fly, like a shaving brush, throw it out there and you'll get an eat um, because they're, they're searching. They, they love yeah. mayflies that much. They'll just, yeah. you can just fish a blind. And maybe them. they're on the nymphs well before that and we just don't know. Yeah, it's a fly fisherman or fly fisher's thing to do. Uh, we see two risers and tying a dry fly. Like the, the fish out there in the lake are eating so many more things we can't see. So a, a big lake technique, and we were just talking about single flies, like during done time, I'd say 80% of the time I've got a nymph hanging off the back of my dry fly. Yeah, right. Um, doubles your chances a little bit. but uh, More than that, I think even during a done hatch, and, the, and they're mainly clipping off the top, they'll still eat the nymph. So, but yeah. of course we move to the dry fly then because we're purists. And of we course catch you are. Yeah. Yeah. And we want, no, but it, yeah, but if, if you want to want a fish, you'll get it, like Kyle said, early on in that hatch where there's a few, they, the fish are one thing we call, you know, they're just popping up here and there on the, the mayfly. Like drifting a nymph around that period is key, absolutely, mm. and catching. I think most fish get you caught in that early part of the done, done hatch. D- yeah. Definitely. And on that note, just for listeners, you could, you could fish your single nymph and an indicator, um, like an unweighted nymph. Um, you don't have to have a nymph under a dryer or anything like that because I'll still eat the nymph, but um, <laughs> fishing-wise. Yeah. But it's always cool to tie a dryer on. Yeah. Um, any other, I guess, tips for that mayfly time? Like I, I don't know whether you guys have played around with these, but crunches? Uh, uh, well, we'll talk about a fly. Mark should be here for this one, but uh, oh, let's yeah. talk about his favourite fly during a, <laughs> during a everything hatch. But and, and and it works so well, and that's the claret carrot. <laughs> I didn't want to say. <laughs> I was so, going to yeah. say blob, but no claret, claret carrot. Yeah, that, that's another versatile fly. As in, I don't know what it's meant to be. Um, first time I was shown one was here at Millbrook, and I nearly laughed because it's it's stupid looking. But you can fish it in a midge hatch, in a mayfly hatch, as a beetle. 
but it's that's movement too. So always wind behind you casting out. Everything you know about fly fishing, um, throw it out the window. As in guiding wise, I always say when you're fishing rod tip down, when you're catching a fish, rod tip up. But you want your rod tip up when you're retrieving a claret carrot, figure eight or a long slow draw. But you don't want to draw it because you might sink the fly. But uh, it's the movement through the waves, the winds behind you. So it's it's making a wake through that, and you get a lot of eats. Uh, moving a, moving a dry fly. Yeah, I just. It's silly, yeah, but it yeah. works. But you can hang your nymphs off the back of it. So the, right. the claret carrot draws their attention and then they eat the nymph behind it. Yeah, cool. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, what about like uh, do you, well, you wouldn't ever fish woolly buggers through a mayfly hatch, would you? I have. Because <laughs> you're a purist. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, like I said, we're guys and we just don't no. – yeah. we, we just we – try, we try everything when, when nothing's working. And that's – with all lake fishing, it's not just during a hatch or anything, but yeah. just – Mix it up when something's not working. Just keep it, change it up. Especially during a hatch, which may last forty minutes. Mm. You want to, you know, if you think a fish has seen you, you fly. It most likely has. Yeah. So change it up. Like keep, you know. Yeah. I, cool. I, might, I might go through five fly changes during a hatch. Yeah. And you know, and Kyle would probably agree with yeah. Ten. Probably not not yeah. Probably not you know going straight to a stripping woolly bugger, but you know, certainly there's been so many times you know with claret carrot with the nymph and they're eating mayflies. Come on, and then off the back of that. We drop a damsel mm. and get three fish on the damsel. Yeah. So work that one out. But, yeah. You know. So, but it works. So we don't ask questions. We're just there to catch <laughs> fish. So. And what about a, a stick caddis? Is that a fly that gets a bit of a run with you boys? I can't believe we haven't mentioned that yet. Uh, you definitely need a stick caddis in your fly box, or fifty of them, um, fishing these lakes. I think anywhere in Australia, if you kept a trout or stomach pumped it, it'd have at least one stick caddis in its stomach. Yeah. They love them. And, yeah. and they're everywhere. You, you know, you can yeah. watch so them swimming around. Refusal on a mayfly nymph. If you polaroided a trout, is that the first fly you put on as the alternative? The stick caddis, stick caddis, or a, a red buzzer? Yeah, red buzzer. <laughs> That's what we oh, do. Yeah. 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 That's probably in order what we, which we go through. Yep. Yep. Nymph, sticky, and or red buzzer. Yeah. Crazy. So that's just yeah. If we see a side of fish, that's the first three changes while we're running down the bank trying to go, put it in your mouth. <laughs> you see it? Uh, but that's what you get paid to do, right? Just knock the flies on and, you know, yeah. undo the tangles and... Tangles. Yeah. <laughs> well, my wife says, what do, you do? what do you do? And I say, I'm not a fishing guy, I'm an untangler. <laughs> <laughs> You're certainly not an English teacher. <laughs> um, so uh, after that, like that, when does that fishing last to the mayfly fishing? What are we talking like late November, mid November? Yeah, I'd say late November. Usually, I've seen them lately go actually, not this year, la, not this spring, just gone the spring before. I think it went right through, mm. which was weird into autumn, but very sm- small, patchy hatches are done. So yeah, this just, autumn hatch was pretty poor, actually. Yeah, just thinking about it, but the, the spring hatch just gone, yeah, was, was unbelievable, like just. Not yeah, blanket hatches, but consistent hatches. So we're talking that sort of hatch that goes for around two hours. In the, uh, and we, when, when we're talking mayfly hatches early on in the season, we're looking at about ten thirty in the morning mm-hmm. through till one any time in that period. So it's great gentlemen's hours fishing. So that's what we like about the mayfly too. But um, yeah, so that's that's the period. And do the mids show up during that time of year as well? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. But it's the the fish hone in on the the duns more. That's it's a better source of food, I think. Tastier. Yeah, tastier. And, and particularly um, the dun hatch is that sort of like midday thing where we're looking at midge uh, fishing outside of that time. So yeah. before or after. So yeah, but midge right, will go gotcha. right through the year. Yeah. yeah. Mayflies, you know, we're talking autumn and spring. 
Yep. The midge is a year round thing. Yeah. Um, so when do you guys start to look at the lakes again? You give it a bit of a rest over summer and then what are we talking like March? Yeah, March. Yeah, and if yeah. it's cool early, if you have the cool run early Feb, oh, sorry, late Feb in cooler weather, but generally it's from March and yeah, we're starting to look for your first mayfly. There's plenty of damsels still going through there as well. Spinners. Spinners. The gambusia, so a type of you know, a bait fish thing that just gets around these lakes, which, you know, they head around the edges, so... Yeah, that's so you're stripping in March a lot. Well, I think that's that would probably be our biggest month for stripping flies. Would be that okay. March period. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Certainly through that. Yeah. Agreed. And then a little later, the mayfly really get going. It switches over to that a bit, but it's yeah, it's it, you, you find the mayfly fishing not as consistent through then as it is in spring. I love that autumn hatch. Usually, like it's and the and for whatever reason, it's generally the smaller uh, mayfly, so a size fourteen. So the ones during yep. uh, the spring about size twelve, sometimes ten, in yep. some of the lakes. But big buggers, big yeah, big mayflies, easy to see. But the ones in spring, we tend to get that fourteen. So you want to have some of those smaller, smaller ones around that autumn period, and that's usually around April. I would say that m- main autumn hatch is April. Yeah, month of April. Yeah, cool. Um, and then it's a it's for a short it's a shorter window though. Yeah, yeah. It depends, yeah. I'd give it a month and a half. Yeah. I would yeah. say it's yeah, probably four to six weeks. Where is that oh, similar then? Yeah. yeah, and I think that that spring hatch it continues to keep going, but mm. you find that as it gets warmer through the year, they start hatching towards dusk. Oh, so they right. just it gets an hour late every every but so it's non, and then the, we've got mud eyes and things, other things. So the fish go off the off the um, mayfly and then onto mud eyes, and that's usually late October, early November. Yep. You start getting the mud eyes coming on. So they're like, oh, stuff the duns. I'm mm. going for mud eyes now. So that's when that evening dust fishing is, is un- unbelievable, that late spring. so yep. And when you're guiding, does that structure how your the hours that you guide, do you start a bit later and then come off the water later? Or you talking yeah. about guiding times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate mud eye hatches. <laughs> I hate nighttime fishing only because I'm home late. But if you're if you're an angler, you want to be there on dusk. Yeah. And, you know, late, and, and mid, mid-November. Yeah, unfortunately. Now. That's where your big, you know, your big brand is going to get caught and close to the edge, somewhere like Lake Wendaree. Yeah, you know, if you know, huge fish, you know, two or three meters off the bank, you're casting along the bank with mud eye patterns. Really exciting. You're seeing the swirls. I love uh, Wendaree because it's all, you know, all the lights around the lake, so you yeah. can see that it's, it's visual. So yeah, it's cool. exciting fishing. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, they'll eat it at your feet and it, they scare you. It's like yeah. a cod eat most of the time because they implode. Big so, tip there too with your mud eyes, crimp your barbs if they're barbed because you won't get your fly back. They inhale it. Yeah, that's a big eat. Oh, yeah. really? They <laughs> swallow it. Yeah. 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 So even if you're going to keep a fish, uh, crimp, crimp your barbs just so you can get your fly out. Yeah. Yeah, it's down the come. back of the throat all the yeah. time when they commit to there. Yeah, it's a yeah. big eat. Yeah. So the big fish hunter, he should probably keep an eye out for mud eye time. Yep. Yes, yeah, absolutely. If you if you want a big fish in this area, you're on dusk on mud eye. Yeah, and fishing right through dark like what time are you pulling yourself off the water i used to before i was guiding i used to fish lake wendery from around 10 30 at night this is daylight savings hours but 10 30 night till about 1 30 in the morning and then he's off what's wrong with you yeah and then try to go to work <laughs> the next day but <laughs> I, uh, I, I i find that period just as i, I would if i was going to fish wendery it would be get there at eight o'clock you know and you might find a few caddis feeders then and then you want to fish that at least an hour after dark yeah and i find depending on the night it can just keep going like like kyle said then you can have a late night and yeah, yeah. 
I'm looking at Peter over here. He's thinking, oh, shit, I can knock off work and then shoot up the thing. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Get a bit of fishing in and, yeah, just be a bit starry-eyed the next day, but that's that's okay. Um yeah, so, so, no, that's that's good. But the what about locations? Where uh, you mentioned Wendoree as being one of the better mud eye uh, locations, the mayfly fishing there is pretty well regarded too. Yep, uh, Mirable Mirable's good all year round for every type of fishing that we've covered. Um, but Mirable's very good mud eye fishery as well. Um, Hepburn back in the day, if there's water in it, and Philip Philip Weigel went and fished the other day and caught a few, so they're still fishing it. But that's a very good one. Just like rocky outcrops and logs and things, mud eyes during the year live in reeds or under rocks. So, looking for a place to start mud eye fishing on dusk, it's look look for a, oh anywhere, but look for rocks and logs. Yeah, rocky the volcanic rocks that we have around here is great structure for them. So yeah, rocky nice. especially walls. You know. Like Newland, the rock wall there, great mud eye spot there, straight off the wall there. Yeah, like Newland, yeah. So, okay. Non-res, so, yeah. yeah. Um, water levels the way they are. Any other waters that you think people ought to go and visit through winter? Oh, yeah. One, one I think about straight away is Tullaroop. So, it's a little bit further out, but yeah, that's, I think that's for big fish as well in winter. Smelting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's smelted. It's just, yeah. Big rainbows, good browns, yeah. And, and I believe now you can put a boat on, an unpowered craft on there. So you can you have can an electric or something. Electric, I believe yeah. so, yeah. 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 So that's, yeah, I think that would be one of the lakes I'd be looking at. If you want to, uh, you know, your first fish in a lake or something like that, if, you, if you're a river fisher and you're going, uh, where's a good spot just to get a fish, would be Wombat Reservoir near Dalesford. Yeah. So you can drop off the lovely wife, Dalesford, Hepburn, whatever, spars, head to Wombat, it's about 10 minutes drive. And great midge fishing, so indicator midge fishing. It's well sheltered right in the bush. It's beautiful. Um, not, be. not big fish, but, um, yeah, good spot to get your first fish. Good beetle fishing in uh, like spring and summer yeah. as well. Surrounded by trees, yeah? yeah? Yeah, it's right in Wombat State Forest, and, yeah, just a beautiful spot and well sheltered. So if it's a really windy day, you'll always find shelter there. Yeah, and easy to access from Melbourne. It's sort of, what would it be, an hour and a half? Yeah, less. Yeah, everything's yeah. easy to access from Melbourne. It like is. All the lakes. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Like you drive up the northeast to Marysville or something, it just always seems to take that 50% longer. Yeah, like that's right. You shoot down the Western Freeway and you, you're here in, in a heartbeat. It's unreal. You sit on 140 and you're there in 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> if you Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that, guys. No, no don't do that. definitely don't do but that. But, yeah, that's the one. Th- the great thing about this area is it's accessible. Yeah. So it's a sensational place just to come out. Like you said, in summertime after work when it doesn't get dark till 830 you got a couple of hours up your sleeve and, and yeah, and great fishing. So. Yeah. Don't let this turn you off it, but in winter bring your warm clothes though. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> yeah, the be. wind chill factor yeah. is next level here, isn't it? Yeah. I've had guys here, the, the, you know, we regularly come out to uh, Millbrook and they're like, I've, you know, I've been to Tassie, I've been to New Zealand, I've been everywhere cold down where I'm saying, wear your thermals and then bring everything else. And, and plenty of times I've had, you know, people said, can I go to the cabin? Because I'm mm. freezing my ass off, so. <laughs> yeah. so just be aware it is cold, and that's why the trout live here. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an amazing place. So, yeah, just bring your or go into the fly fisher and just buy bulk warm clothes. Yeah, so you're not so you can keep fishing longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> Chiching. No such thing as cold weather. No. Just good gear. That's yeah. it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, that's good. So yeah, like I, it seems like there's a lot of water out here, but it, it, does it tend to get fished a lot? Yeah, it does, but. Like we we're talking about, the, the fisheries are looking after it now, so it does get 
fish get kept and it does yeah. get. I mean, you guys are guiding on Millbrook day in, day out, fishing the same water over and over and over again and getting great results. So clearly, if a fishery is managed properly, uh, the number of anglers doesn't seem to matter all that much. No, I guess I guess the difference between private fishing and um Public. Not public water is that uh, we put the fish back here, so occasionally they'll get taken. Yeah, which isn't a bad. I don't know can be seen as a bad thing or a good thing. So, but like you said, thirty thousand fish going to Tullaroop. Come on, no one's catching thirty thousand fish in one session. So yeah, yeah there's loads. Like thirty thousand fish in, let's say, the average lifespan of a trout in these waters is about probably six years. Mm. So you, I'm shit at maths, but what's that? Thirty thousand times seven. How many fish, Cole? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Many. Shit, your answer should have been shitload. <laughs> but you've got to remember, too, and this is, I mean, they outsmart me a lot, but trout have a brain the size of a peanut. So I think if you, even though they see a lot of foot traffic and, and lures and flies and baits and things like that, this they're just going to switch back on in a couple of hours or the next day. Yeah, they they all might have a uh, you know a momentary lapse in yeah. judgment and make a mistake. Yes, that puts that's them on the end of your line. <laughs> yeah, we're looking for that one dumb trout. That's it. <laughs> we're always looking for that. <laughs> Is the dumb trout normally a rainbow or a brown? Um, no, rainbow. It's always say, a rainbow. Was it tiger? No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah tigers. Uh, and I think that's one thing we'll see uh, that's been trialed in Lake Parambit. Yeah, uh, the tiger. Tiger trap, which is a hybrid brook brown cross, and it's gone really well. You can see over the last two years, you know, fish they're getting caught six pound in two two years. So, I think we'll see a, a, a shift in some of the waters with a few yeah a few tiger trap, which will be exciting, which yeah. we have here at Millbrook already, um, which is it just makes exciting fishing for. It's worth pointing out that these waters are put and take fisheries, aren't they? These trout are put in there for us to catch. Yes. Yeah, for us to catch. Yeah, but Philip says it's not a put put and kill fishery. It's just to put take in your yeah. net and then put back fishery. <laughs> so just that's what it should be, yeah. definitely. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm not for for or against you. It's your decision to make. If you know if, if you want to keep a fish, that's cool. You know what I mean. If you want to release it, whatever, that's fine. Yeah, as well. yeah, great. Catch and release is just so proven, isn't it? And I think more and more these these lakes, if you want to call them a resource, which I guess we kind of have to these days. Uh, the more pressure, the, the you know, the more we need to be letting these fish go. Yeah, and and for them to grow bigger. If you want, if you want to chase the bigger fish, if you keep killing them at two pounds, you're probably not going to catch a big. They fish. don't get a chance to get big. We yeah. do see that with the rainbows in public waters. Like you know, they don't get an opportunity because they're a bit easier to catch to yeah. grow bigger. So yeah, if you're going to put back a fish, put back a you know a one or two pound rainbow because it will. And these lakes are proven to go grow really big fish, particularly somewhere like Hepburn. That the fish can grow up, to, you know, up to four or five pound in one year. That's how good the, the, the growth, growth rate is. Crazy. So if they get an opportunity, they're going to be get big quick. Yeah, yeah. And rainbows in particular too, right? Like they they pack on condition. I reckon arguably better than a brown, like oh, faster. Yeah. yeah, they're faster growing yeah. fish. Yeah, yeah. And some oh. of them are stupid looking, like small head, small yeah. tail, and you know, footballs. Like, yeah, yeah like a brim or something. Footballs. You know? yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Just because they've stacked on the weight. Yeah. And big rainbows are a pretty regular occurrence here at Millbrook, aren't they? That's right, yeah. It's, it's surprising that that I, I'm not sure if fisheries are stocking the same amount of rainbows, whereas I don't really follow the stocking too much. But, yeah, you can just see by the, by the private fishery here and, um, you know, the fish, particularly rainbows, if getting, if they get the opportunity to go fast, they grow fast and big, mm. really big. So somewhere like Maroubal, which, which has been stocking, Peter, your fish was a 
Rainbow. Know, rainbow, yep. Yeah. And good condition? Good fat fish for yeah, the um, size, yeah, yeah, for the length. Yeah, so it just shows you, like, that, that marable fishery is going to go nuts this spring. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there'll be 9,000 people around the edge this spring, but... Filling their white buckets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 but it's, yeah, it's seriously like they're... I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of rainbows. They're a bit easy to catch. They fight hard. So mm. Good good sports fish, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're cool. Um, what, the one sort of area we haven't really touched on, which is obviously a big feature of Victorian lake fishing, is the the Grampians lakes. Yeah, you, I, do don't, you, I don't want to get kneecapped by Philip Weigel, but um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, there's a lot of water out there. Plenty of water for everyone. Let's not mention that lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there, there's a few up there that are good. So, well, I so, mean, Wartook is just yeah. – it's always been good and yeah. unbelievable. It's, I guess it's a little bit restrictive in terms of uh, foot access, but – it's sensational just around the wall there. Like great and a good brown trout fishery there up at Wartook. So Definitely. and then you got fines. Yeah. Phil there. was at Wartalk two days ago, by the way. Oh, how'd he photo. go? Yeah. We'll just we'll just have our own conversation here. Yeah. How'd he go? How'd he yeah, go? Good. I'll show, you, show you a photo later. <laughs> oh really? Okay. No fish there. <laughs> no, but fine fines is a really good uh a great mud eye fishery as well. Yeah, it seems like there's there's three main ones there, right? Like Belfield being yep. in Hall's Gap there, that's become a really good rainbow fishery, I believe, over yep. the last sort of couple of years. Good browns too. And good browns, yeah. yeah. Except so they just put cod in there, so we'll see how that... Is that right? Yeah. yeah well, they need to make a decision on whether it's going to be a salmonid water or a native water. Yeah, that's the interesting thing with that whole... Because Lauriston, which yeah. used to be one of my haunts when I was a kid, you know, they've, they've dropped cod in there, and I, I think yeah. that's pretty good. I mean, I can always remember... Morrison being quite a marginal trout fishery. Mediocre trout water, yeah. So um, yeah. I can see that that push for that. And Cancaran, places like that where they've moved to cod, which is cool because now we can start catching cod you know, yeah. in these waters, which is exciting. So, yeah. But, yeah, Belfield will be interesting over the next few years. We know it's a decent trout It fishery. is definitely a good trout water. But, yeah, that's certainly a place where when I'm there, I feel like I'm in Tassie or, you know, anywhere. It just feels wild. It's kind yeah. of, I don't know, it just Windlines screams trout, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, wind lanes, yeah, and gets a good mayfly hatch. Um, your streamers, big streamers seem to get eaten really well there. Yep. You know, Philip Weigel's obviously harps on about the emu bugger. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good area. And I think if someone's looking for a bit more of a getaway rather than a day trip within shooting distance of Melbourne, that, that would be the area to go, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Beautiful absolutely. place yeah. too. Nice place. And we've got all those those Lauriston or Malmesbury area sort of lakes as well, so... Yeah, Marsbury's no good, I've been told, but um, you still see some decent fish being caught out of the Upper Colburn Reservoir, so that's another one. Yeah. And I have just saw the stocking rate for that. I think I might have seen 20,000, so I think oh, that's good. what it needs. I think it's always had that 7,000 fish, which is just not enough for that water, I don't believe. So yeah. that's another little one to have a look, you know, maybe yeah. pop out and have a go at uh, yeah, Upper Colburn Res. Well, hopefully fisheries have looked at how many people have been there trout fishing and gone, oh, you know, this is where we need to be pouring in a few more fish if there's a lot more people fishing it. Because we hear about that one regularly in Do the you, shop. You're yeah, right. Yep. Cos- yeah. Cosgrove near Creswick. you got Crossgroves. Yep. You, yeah, you've got a uh, bunch of smaller ones out that way. So, yeah. Jay, say it. You want to say it? Dean. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be Kyle's favourite. Yeah. <laughs> like, in the, yeah, you ever found like, I, I, like 20 year old Kyle? He's going to be at Dean. You, know? <laughs> you just had to drive, you never had to call him. So, yeah. back, back in the 80s when we didn't have mobile phones, <laughs> you'd find <laughs> you just drove to Dean and he would yeah. be there. Wonder where Kyle is. Yeah. Know exactly where to find him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, locally here, let's go through them. It's Hepburn, Newland, Murrable, Wendaree. Yeah. Uh, what's what's Dean? Dean. And there's a few little secret ones too, isn't there? Like that book, 
fly fishing Western Victoria by Philip Weigel, there's a few that just get a you know a little mention in there that I've that you know always sort of taken note of because he makes it pretty clear in a wet year this is where you need to be going. Bolak, you know, so yeah. those ones when and fisheries, fisheries have been great with it. Bolak, so you know it fills. They put trout in there and they get six pound a year. Yeah, so. So they're the little ones to, you know, they're the ones to watch out for. There are. In the right years, yeah, absolutely. Pilato, Olwara, Pilato, Wombat. Yep. So, yeah, there's a load of... Plenty of of options, yeah. Stacks of water. So, like I said, fishing pressure, don't worry about it too much. Just get out there and Mm. and have a crack. So it's just like the small streams up in northeast Victoria. We see a lot of pressure on them. Still have, you know, still catch plenty of fish. So same with the lakes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, guys, it's been a bloody pleasure having you on, on the podcast. You know, I think we've uh, really touched on a, a lot of areas that we could probably go into a lot more detail on. Um, but as far as just an introduction into, into fly fishing our Western Victorian lakes, I, I think you guys have nailed it and really uh, hopefully got the listeners inspired and wanting to get out over these cooler months and give it a crack. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us. There really is nothing stopping people from getting out there and doing it. And um, any advice that uh, people need, they can obviously get in touch with you guys. Um, You know, you both guide here at Millbrook through winter. Um, Scotty, you've got wilderness fly fishing up there at Marysville through summer. Um, But obviously regularly guiding here too, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you wanted to learn, I guess Millbrook Millbrook Lakes is a great place to learn these techniques and and get rewarded for your effort. Yeah. You know, uh, they're not fed or anything like that. They feel feed like the wild fish that are out in the lakes around here. So, yeah, if you want this to is learn just it. a fishery that's managed, you know, in a better way. And yep. the experience that you'll have here is just like fishing the public lakes, but it's in a more controlled environment where you know there's a lot of fish in front of you. Absolutely. But yeah, it's the ultimate training ground, isn't it? Really, that's what we see it as. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and um, so can we? Get, uh, can people get in touch with you on Instagram? Like, where are you, Kyle? Yeah, I've, I've on Instagram. I think I'm Kyle underscore Uncle Twist, something like that. How do you spell Kyle? (laughs) K-I-E-L. Feel. Yeah, yeah, or or just, yeah, Millbrook, there's a website and email addresses there. Yeah, and with myself, it's greekfishing.com. No, it's uh, 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 wildernessflyfishing.com. Yeah. I think it's just .com, yeah. You'll find if you just search wilderness fly fishing in the old Google, you'll find Or Scotty Alphabet. Yes. (laughs) Don't search my name because you might find other things you don't want to find. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 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 the uh, the tools for people to get into lake fishing are, are well and truly there and um, and you know you guys are, have always been willing to help and um, you know we love our affiliation with you guys and, and really appreciate getting you on here and, and hope to get you back very soon thanks, thanks guys thank you, thank you. Bye. cheers Bye.